You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. God's determination is still true as it was back in Jesus's time and Jesus's determination to save the world, to push through the hardship of it was was the evidence that we have right now. It's not something that we have to believe that never existed. It is, has existed and he has proven it. So today, as Billy just prayed, if you've come in or if you're tuned in online, perhaps you're watching this later, listening to it in your car, at work, wherever that is, you can have this assurance that maybe not your circumstances are going to be cleared up in the next hour, but you can have the assurance that God is not going to fail you. And that's that's the picture that we get. You just see a savior riding on that that mule, that donkey into into his demise and that determination. And that gives us that's that's the happiness and the joy that we have in the, on Palm Sunday. So we welcome you here and it's good to be gathered. We need to gather. This is not just a is not something that uh, we do just for the. For the fun of it, although it is fun to come together, but it's something that we, my name is Steve McCoy. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I am the lead pastor here at 360. And uh, especially if it's your first time, thanks for taking the courage to come to a new place and uh, with a, a church with a crazy name and we're meeting in a warehouse. I always admire people coming to for the first time. And uh, that's, that's just awesome. Today, we are going to close out this long conversation, series of conversations we've had on life change. And uh, we I kind of flipped the last two. Uh, if you see the list on there, we talked about demonstration last week. But because of the determination of Jesus on Palm Sunday, I wanted to kind of cap it off with this because, as we've said every week for who knows how many weeks we've been in this thing, maybe eight, ten weeks Every week we've we've made note that life changes hard. We understand that changing habits, changing behaviors, changing mindsets, changing identities that we've embraced, perhaps others have superimposed on us. Those changes are very difficult for us as human beings. That's why we just didn't spend one week doing and talking about this topic. And I would say it's why Jesus just didn't pop down on earth for a weekend seminar. It's uh, he said, hey, I know to really to have some to, to change 12 ordinary men, as it turned out to be 11, to change 11 ordinary men that would be world changers. This is going to take some time. It's going to take some time of course correction, some time of investment, some time of, uh, of uh, observation and assessment, all of those things. And so we recognize as human beings uh, empathetically with each other, we say, hey, you know, if you have children, if you have teenagers, your spouse, your workplace, wherever that is, we have to have that patience. But we also understand not only is it difficult to change, but it's difficult to maintain change. In fact, it may be uh, more difficult in certain ways to maintain change. People ask me, have you lost have you lost weight? Yeah, about five thousand pounds over about 10 years. Uh I saw this little cartoon. Do you know this cartoon? Uh, um, uh, this uh, this little dog says, hey, what exactly is a New Year's resolution? Well, it's a to-do list for the first week of January. That's how it feels. 
What I've noticed, I, I'm coming up on my 41st year of being a Christ follower. Most of those years have been in ministry, in church ministry. We're actually all in ministry, but full-time church ministry. And so what I, here's my observation over the years, that it's easier to be a sprinter than it is a marathon runner. And so over the years, I think it's, it's important for us to go back and look at some models and to, to help us. How do we maintain change? Because I think without models, it's, it's, it's really, it can be challenging. And so determination then is where we land today. And I think it's super important. Seems about once a year, I talk about a topic that doesn't, uh, it doesn't, um, surface, uh, too much in the church culture, if I were honest. And it's about what's called the Bema Seat of Christ. At the Bema Seat of Christ, for those of you that that may be new, because sometimes people begin to freak out when you talk about the Bema Seat of Christ. And I'm like, well, good. Let's freak out then together. The Bema Seat of Christ is where Christ followers, every single Christ follower will, will go. Now, now the, the reality, the sober reality of it is that um, it's not a it's not a position. It's not a perspective. It's a reality. We've seen this reality already. We had the, we've seen the future happening as John, the apostle, one of the Jesus's best friends is transported into the future. And we get to read the book of Revelation. It is a revelation, a revealing of the future. It is not a prediction of the future. It's a revealing of the future. What we see is that those who have exchanged their old life for Christ's new one uh, will be saved not by their own effort, not by their level of re religiosity or not by obeying the golden rule or the Ten Commandments or half the Ten Commandments or whatever percentage of the Ten Commandments we think will make us right with God. None of that will, will make us right with God. We sang it today. We celebrated it today. We remembered in the Lord's Supper today that it was Christ, the only Messiah, the only Savior of the world who laid his life down on a cross, who shed the blood of a perfect Lamb of God, that when we come to him honest and broken and acknowledge who we are and our need for him as a Savior, he then we transfer our faith and our dependence on anything or anyone else and put our 100% dependence on Christ and say, I'm going to trust Christ for my salvation. I'm going to trust Christ for my rescue. I'm going to trust Christ alone to be right with God. And we embrace him as he embraces us. And there is an exchange of life and we are covered and made right before God as if we've never sinned because of the blood of the Lamb of God that was shed on the cross of Jesus Christ as he went in on Palm Sunday, if we stand before Christ at the end of time, it is, it is God's lenses through the blood of Christ that he looks as us, at us. The question is whether or not you have covered yourself, if you've embraced Christ as your, as your Savior. If you have not, there is a sober reality. It is not Steve's opinion. It is not this church's opinion. It is the reality that is going to happen. And that reality is that you, we will spend an eternity either with God or without God. And the determining factor of that is if we have accepted Christ as our Savior, because everyone who has heard the gospel, as you just have, that Christ died for our sins. He was buried in a tomb for three days. 
He rose again with a bodily, physical resurrection. He has come back to life, and this is what we celebrate next Sunday. We, we, next Sunday, by the way, we're not only going to look at Easter morning, but we're going to look at Easter night to give you a little appetizer. Because what happened on Easter night was the, uh, was the result of what happened on Easter morning. The question then, if, you, if I might ask you so directly, again, whether you're sitting in this room or you're sitting at home or listening, have you accepted Christ? Have you embraced Christ? Have you trusted Christ alone for the rescue of your soul. If you have not, there is a sober reality that you'll face. That is an eternity away from God. I am not ashamed of God's truth. We in this day and age, we have as preachers been afraid of what people think of us. I don't care what you think of me. Obviously. (laughs) Look, I always say it this way. I'm going to love you enough to tell you the truth. And the truth is that we need Christ. Now, there is another place that we will go if we've exchanged our life for Christ's new one. It is this Bema Seed of Christ. Now, if you're a Christ follower and this is a new concept for you, I want you to take a deep breath and relax The Bema Seat of Christ is not when we come to Christ to determine whether we will spend eternity or not with God. That is sealed. We have the assurance that we are with God. Otherwise, if we accepted Christ and we're wondering every day if we're still okay, then that sacrifice was not good enough. Jesus saves us from our past. He saves us from our present. He saves us from our future. What happens if you just go out and you get hit by a car and you didn't confess all of your sins? You're in trouble. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Christ has covered that. We have the assurance of that. When we stand before Christ at the Bema seat, it is a total assessment of how we run this race. This is the parable of the talents that Jesus preaches. So we look at that. Now, today, what we're going to look at, like why, why all of that? Today, what we're going to look at is the determination of the models of like Jesus, who was determined. They said he set his face like a flint, that he was determined to do the thing that God had assigned him to do. Recently, I've really been just meditating and hovering over John 17, 4, which when Jesus said, I, Father, it's time to transition. I have given you glory on earth by accomplishing the assignment, what you set for me to do. You see, God gave, the Father gave Jesus an assignment specific to him, and I believe that God gives us assignments. It's that thing that God is going to say to you, what did you do with what I gave you? There is a specialty gifting, but there's also a common gifting that God has for each of us. Today, we're going to begin by looking at the model of those that ran the race before us. Specifically, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal. Feel the determination today. That's That's the core heartbeat, the vein that runs through these verses. I press on today towards the, the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. So let us, with deep 
and tangible determination. Let us hold fast to what we've attained. We've been changed, but let's be determined to maintain that change. We've been, we've been transformed by Christ. Let's be determined to live in that transformation. Let's be determined to lean into that transformation. In other words, we're going to look today at the running shoes of Paul. Those shoes that he ran that race. Man, think about what those look like. I bet they didn't look like brand new Nikes off the shelf. I bet they had holes in them. I bet they had. Uh, I bet they had uh, dirt all around them. I bet they were the old. The, you know how the heel gets crooked when you've worn your tennis shoes too long. I bet they were worn out. I propose to you that Jesus, when he stands, when he looks us in the eye at the Bema Seat, he is looking for worn out tennis shoes, no matter what assignment that God has given to you. There's some lessons that we can learn. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, at the end of Paul's life, he said these words, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. It was often the last of the sacrifices that happened. In other words, he's saying, I'm about to die and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. These shoes have run. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. I accomplished the assignment that God had put forth with determination. In regards to uh, in regards to Palm Sunday, Jesus in Luke chapter nine, these are the words we read as the time approached for Christ to be taken up to heaven. In other words, his departure. Watch. I love this word. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He set out for Jerusalem with great determination Now, you remember, if you know the stories of the gospel, you remember when Jesus began, you know, so Jesus had the 12 and then he had the three that were closer to him. And then he had the one with John, Peter, James and John. And then he had that relationship with John. And you remember when Jesus was sharing with his disciples, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ride in on on what we now call Palm Sunday. I'm going to ride in and I'm going to give my life and I'm going to be. Uh, uh, martyred, basically. I'm going to be crucified. And you remember that Peter's initial reaction, of course, he was the outspoken one. Oh, not you, Lord. Don't do that. This, this, I don't like this plan. And that's when Jesus, he, he said some very strong and harsh words to him. He said, you don't have, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. You have the things of man in mind. He said, I'm determined to accomplish the thing that the Father has set me out to do. So I think from this we are going to then look at some principles today of how to run this race with determination and how to run this race in such a way that we don't lose steam. And I think you're going to be surprised, and I'll go ahead and tell you for us Christ followers, I'm going to step on your toes a little bit. Oh, you're happy about that. All right. <laughs> have you ever have you ever been in a restaurant where you had a, an appetizer and you, you know you pray for the food and then they come out and they set the food in front of you, you feel like you need to pray again? Maybe we should pray again. That was just the appetizer. 
Here's the first thing I'd like that I think we learn from the determination of Jesus on Palm Sunday that we learn from the determination of Paul's race. Here's the first thing. The masses are not the models. The masses are not the models. And there's something about masses for us that if all of a sudden everybody starts doing something, you just feel like you want to do it too. There is, there, as, there is a photocopy-ness that human beings have, right? Have you ever been standing in a store and you start looking at something and somebody else all of a sudden, it's not even they were interested in that, but they start looking at it too, right? And then they buy the, the only thing that you were standing there looking for. And like, dang it, that's, you know, you're, you didn't even want it in the first place. There is a sense that, that, that when we start doing things, we can be influenced just because a lot of other people are doing it. How many times have I been told, I've been told this week by someone very close to me, when I began, we began to talk about, hey, let's talk about marriage that is reserved. And the beauty is in the reservation of a man and a woman after they have committed to the act of marriage. The physical relationship is to be saved and preserved. And uh, this it was a young guy, uh, a teenager. And he said, yeah, but everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it, right? Everybody's having a physical relationship outside of marriage. Everybody's doing it. As if I would say, oh, right, well, gosh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> the problem is everybody's doing it. The problem in Noah's day is everybody's doing it. Everybody's killing each other. Violence completely filled the earth. The problem is that in any culture, hey, if you start wanting to work, you know, 25 hours instead of 40, then everybody's doing it. Then you feel like you want to do it, too, even right now. It's there. I tried to get a, I was in Dallas the last four or five days. I had a morning flight out of Dallas yesterday and they canceled my flight, put us on a late flight. That's why I'm grouchy this morning. That's why you're in trouble. (laughs) Because the crew didn't show up. What? (laughs) I'm like, well, let me try. I'll give it a shot. What the heck? First Corinthians nine, chapter 24. Do you know that in a race, not all the runners run, that all the runners run, but only one gets prize. So here we go. I'm going to be, I'm going to be kindly honest with you. We understand as Christ followers that the world is not our model, right? Get all you can get, eat, eat, drink and be merry. You know, we could spend a whole day talking about all of those things. And so we when you begin to talk about the masses and they're and it's they're not our models. We understand that's not the world. OK, kingdoms in our world. We think our politics are corrupt in this country. They're corrupt in every country. I've been to a lot of countries. We, we got we got a better one. <laughs> And uh, we understand it's not pure across the board and all that stuff. That's not our kingdom, man. That's not our kingdom. So let's not get too caught up in it, right? I'm not talking about this this morning. So here, here it comes. I'm going to carefully say this. The masses that we often have to be careful of as a Christ follower is other Christ followers. And the reason I say that is, hey, we're all going to we're all going to heaven. I get that. 
uh, Christ will determine whether that's authentic in people or not. I get that because many people call me Lord, Lord, you know. But in our day and age, it is challenging because the running is coming to a kind of a trot. Jesus said that this day and age, I believe in Revelation chapter 3, is more lukewarm than it is hot. So it is challenging for us as Christ followers that our fellow runners are, are beginning to slow pace. So I'm speaking to those that would, would hear. And I know this, that's tough to hear because you know what's, what's easier? Is let's pick on the world. You know, let's not be like the world. Yeah, we're all together, right? And there's such, you know, their behavior is so bad. Yeah, you know, it feels good. But that us versus them thing. But when we begin to look at ourselves, it becomes more difficult. And I know this is challenging, but man, I love you enough to be honest. And I think as fellow runners, it's, it is, it is, we have to make sure that the masses are not our models. The mass is not our model. You remember, you know, and it doesn't matter sometimes how crazy things go. I, I was thinking about some of the previous fads that were happening. So I, I brought a couple of pictures. You remember this planking? So you remember that? That. <laughs> I mean, it's like stupid, right? But everybody was doing it. It didn't matter. Here's the formula. It didn't matter how stupid it was. People kept doing it. <laughs> And, and here's one even more stupid. Remember milking when people would go and pour a jug of milk over their head and, and film it? And that was funny. And then it caught on. <laughs> so it just proves that, that, you know, it doesn't matter. So now we're told that the, the, the industry standard for Christians is to come to church 1.8 times a month. 1.8 times a month. I don't know if that means that you leave early on the second time or what, what does that mean? <laughs> you can't even make it through two, man. And that becomes the norm. And I've just spent four or five days with key leaders, which is the equivalent of about 3,000 churches in the last four days. And I can tell you that it is a lot about what we call the four Ps. It's about property. It can be about programs. It can be about the personality up front and people. If my friends leave, I leave. And those types of things that draw people to our church, this is the masses. This is the thing that excites us about. So we can't look at the, I just read Christianity Today just last week. How many evangelicals, the percentage that no longer believe that the word of God is the infallible God-breathed word of God. It's shocking. It's shocking. Yes. The Bible is the only truth that we have in this world. Yes. It is the word. It is the infallible breathed word of God. The resurrection was not a fable. The percentage of evangelicals that don't believe that it was a bodily raising from the dead is shocking. Then I will say, then keep on running that race, but you will not be my model. The number of Christians who think that spending time and walking with God is optional or only in hard times, that our greatest praise 
comes from only times when things are going right. That disciple making, you know that's an important topic around here, is somehow optional. Now I know I'm getting close to home. It's somehow optional. That 97%, listen, 97% of the American evangelical culture, I'm not talking about liturgical churches and blah, 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 blah. 97% of the American evangelical culture, even though God gave them 10 apples, they won't give one back. I'm trying not to cry. However, we do have other models. We have great models. You just have to keep your eye on them. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of runners, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with deep bone determination and perseverance the race that God has marked out for us. That is the determination that God is calling us to. I hope that sometimes the word of God comforts you. I do. I hope that sometimes the word of God inspires you, that opens up new revelation for you. But sometimes as a pastor, I'm hoping that the word of God will like, oh, I needed to hear that. I don't personally, I don't listen to preachers unless they punch me in the gut sometimes. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not, I've been, I've been patted on the back enough in life. I don't need any more of it. I don't need to hear how loved I am and all that. Thank you for loving me. That's all. Let's, but let's run. Let's get some shoes on. Let's put some spikes in our tennis shoes. (laughs) Let's tie them up tight. Let's get them dirty. Let's do something different. That's why I love this church, by the way. You may have noticed we're not sitting in a cathedral. And I love you for that. Love you for your priorities. Here's the second thing. So just before I leave this, watch this. Don't watch the masses. Watch the models. Now, let me me just go off script here for a second. Who Who are the models? This is why I say I, I say it from time to time, but I think it's important to, to say it. If you're really serious, like, okay, I'm, I, I got you, Steve. I, where, who, who do I look at? Me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Absolutely kidding me. I read books like Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, there's a one year, the one year Bible. They've got a one year uh, collection of of those that ran the race. I can give you the name of if you need it. But um, I read uh, those who were in the 1800s. I read about the coffin missionaries. They packed all their stuff in a coffin because they knew they weren't coming back. I read about the men and women who lived in a different age. Number one. Number two. Read the Word of God. That's number one, obviously, but. And number number three, look at people outside our country sometimes. It's helpful. It's helpful. Go on a mission trip. Do do something. Get go, get to a different because our it's tough swimming in the deep end of it. 
to be honest with you. We need models. We need tangible models, not just you get the concept. You need to look at somebody or even within the context of our own church family. There are people out here, three of them prayed with me before the service. There are people that are around you that says, I want to be like that. My piano, you know, my my background is piano for those that don't know me. And I there was a there was a life changer for me. Her name was Betsy Plummer. Nothing romantic, I'm saying to my wife. (laughs) 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 Betsy uh, stood about this tall, had fiery red hair, and I think every inch of her skin was covered with freckles. (laughs) She was a monster piano player. She was a monster piano player. She'll never know this, but I watched her play. I'm like, wow, blown away. It's a young teenager, and I said, there's something inside that said to me, I want to play like Betsy. From that moment on, I started practicing eight hours a day, seven days a week, 364 days a year. I took Christmas Day off. It's because of her. It's because she was the model. Pick a model. Pick a model in your own life and say, I'm going to be that. Don't look at the masses. Here's the second thing I think we learn. If you're going to stay the course, you need to know the course. If you're going to stay the course, you're going to need to know the course. First Corinthians chapter nine. Do you not know that in, all, in a race and all runners run, but only one gets a prize? Run in such a way that you can get the prize. It's easy as a Christian to say, hey, I'm, I'm doing a little devotional in the morning. I'm doing this. But Jesus said, hey, I've set some things out before you. There is a way. There were, tra- there were boundaries. Second Timothy chapter two. If anyone completes as an a- competes as an athlete, He does not receive the victor's crowns unless he competes according to the rules. Every football field has an out-of-bounds line. Every football field has first down markers. Even yesterday, I was stuck in the airport. I'm watching uh, golf. (laughs) And um, I almost missed my fly. I snoozed off. It's such a... No, I'm kidding. And there's there somebody hit it in the woods. I'm like, I identify with that. <laughs> they hit it in the woods, and there's certain rules about that. You know, there's certain rules. And so I as I'm sitting there, I started looking up. Can a professional PGA player, can they, let's say they're playing the Masters, can they actually practice on that course before they actually play? The answer is yes. They can go out, and the reason they and watch this. Watch this. This is super cool. They rarely go out and practice by themselves. They practice with others because they're observing the mistakes and the successes of their other players so that they themselves watch what others are doing. The models for them, not the masses, the models for them. And they then know the course through walking with a small group of people. That's fascinating. We have to understand that Jesus has set a course for us. Look, I know you think I just harp on this, but I harp on it because when Jesus gave the commission, there was only one assignment. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them, disciple them, invest in them to to obey the things I've commanded you. And I'm with you on every hole of the course, on every round of the course. 
Twelve of us are super excited about that, by the way. I want to go back to Second Timothy chapter two for just a second. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive their victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. You know why I'm hard on you sometimes? Honestly, you know why I'm hard on you? Because I want to be standing there with tears running down my face because you ran hard. And you handed over your old tennis shoes to Christ. I'm not going to get a thing out of it. You are. And you're going to reign with Christ and rule with Christ and serve Christ in such a way that I'll push you and perhaps even offend you because standing before Christ at their being seat is not an option. It's a reality. So let me be your tough coach. Get angry with me. I'll tell you which car is mine. You can scrape it if you want after the service. But you won't be sorry when you stand before the owner of the team. You won't be sorry. So let me push you. Let me, let me prod you and nudge you and offend you and challenge you. Watch this. Here's the rules of the bema seat. The bema seat comes from the uh, the these games. It was, they were like um, the they were called the Isthmian Games, and they were like the Olympics. And here was the rule: the victor of a given event who participated according to the rules was led by the judge to the platform called the bema. That was the seat where these runners came to be assessed. Second Corinthians chapter five verse ten. For we must all appear before the judgment, the bema seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Again, not eternity, not eternity past or, or not. It's So let me keep going. First Corinthians chapter 9. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. It's great determination. What Christ asks for is what we do. Here's what we, here's what he's asking for. Here's what we do. I'm not going to run aimlessly. I'm not going to say this is what I want to do as a Christ follower. I do not fight like a man beating the air. Here's the final part. God has a part in this race and you have a part in this race. So the final, I think, the principle that we find when we look at other people and is that there's always a partnership between us and God. Your part and God's part. Your part and God's part. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, Paul wrote. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Ask any athlete any professional athlete, hey, you having fun? Well, sure, they love the game, but it is work, man, what they put their bodies through. And he says, no, I beat my body, and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I want you to notice that Paul said, I beat my body, and I make it my slave. There are some things that God won't do for us. 
And so I believe that in our country, we are perhaps in the future will face persecution. But right now, I rub shoulders with a lot of men and women who are in persecution. And it looks nothing like here in this country. But if here's what I believe sometimes our greatest challenges, it's inconvenience. It's inconvenience. And I think when we look at Paul saying, hey, I'm going to beat my body, sometimes we kind of disconnect. Like, well, I'm not, I'm not really getting persecuted from anybody, but how much could you, would you, end, what, what would you inconvenience yourself for for Christ today? Because others, the masses will say, hey, hey, Jesus, come on, man, you're not, you don't need to go to Jerusalem. Paul said, I'm going to go to Rome. I feel God calling me Rome. There are those around me, hey, don't do that. Other people may say, hey, come on, man, your shoes are wearing out, bro. You need to take it easy. My flight got canceled uh, yesterday, and uh, people said, hey, just stay here. That would have been tempting. Just stay here. I'm like, no, I'm determined to get back to my church family. But I made one cardinal rule. My wife and I, we, we, we broke one cardinal rule. We told the airlines, hey, we need to get back. It doesn't matter where we sit. Big mistake. <laughs> we sat in the back row. Final seats in the plane. It was me, my wife in the middle, and a mom with a two-year-old. <laughs> Reason number two, I'm a little angry this morning. Low grouchy. <laughs> there were 25 mile an hour winds in Atlanta yesterday. I don't know if you saw that. I would say it was one of the top three points of turbulence that we've ever experienced in our life. I'm sure they'll figure a way to get that kid out of the bathroom we locked him in. I'm still probably working with You know, Paul said, I beat my body, and, uh, but he, watch this. Oh, I hope you'll let this sink in, sink in. Everything is permissible for me. I am saved, but, and I'm solid, and I have assurance. But Paul's saying, don't let that be your ticket to trot. Don't let it be a ticket for these spurts of sprints, it is a marathon sprint. Don't let this, don't let, hey, wow, I'm saved and hey, I'm, I'm forgiven. Everything's permissible for me, but not everything's beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I want to end today by a film. I watched it again this morning and just brings tears to my eyes. Every, you guys remember Derek Redman? Derek Redmond was a, a British marathon runner and a sprinter. Uh, he did different kinds of races. And in Barcelona, the 1992 Summer Games Olympics, he began to run. He was one of the favorites. And uh, in the middle of the race, he popped a hamstring. And it was just heartbreaking, just thinking of all the, the hours of investment and the pain of training. And everybody encouraged him to stop. 
Hey, bro, we all understand. Just get off the field. And his dad broke through security and comes onto the field. And I just want to kind of close with this Palm Sunday determination spirit. Watch this. form he's shown since he broke the British record. He was in great shape, you know, he, he was had a chance, possibility of maybe getting a medal there. Redmond to aim at, and so too in line number three is Steve Lewis, but Redmond's got off very fast indeed, and so too is Ismail Akita, down the back straight, he's the fractional leader. Part of Nigeria has gone very quickly, and Redmond is broken down, he's on the track, kneeling down, and Derek Redmond, on his injury problem, the jinx has struck again. down the back strike, I heard a funny clap or a pop, and I honestly, for a split second, thought I'd been shot. Uh, and then obviously I realized I've, I've pulled a hamstring. And then when the pain sort of died down, I remembered where I was and what I was doing, and I remember thinking, quick, you're in the Olympic semi-finals, you prat, get up and start running. And I got to the 200 meter mark after hobbling 50 meters, and looked across and all the guys had finished, and it pretty much hit me that, yeah, it ain't gonna happen, it's all over. I would have laid there. Yeah, two words. No way I would have got up because hamstring, when you got a hamstring, you know you got a hamstring. He just wants to finish. His dad's trying to run to the track to stop him. He's gonna tell him, Derek, don't. The old man went to put his arms around me and I was just about to try and push him off because I thought it was someone else. I didn't see him, he sort of jogged from behind. And uh, he said, look, you don't need to do this, you can stop now. You haven't got nothing to prove. And I said, oh, I have, you know, get me back into lane five, I want to finish. Now in the greatest arena in sport, he's getting the chair of the games. I never wanted to be in Derek Hugh at that time. You know, it was a sad moment. It was a, you know, a great moment, you know, in the sport, to be honest. It's a figure, a picture that just stays in your mind forever because you don't want to see any athlete having to go through that. He just knew how destroyed he was and just how much that race meant to him. You know, you think about how many hamstrings we've pulled in our life and there's some people that would say hey, just come on and then he said man I woke up and all of a sudden I recognized the race I was in and his father came and walked him across that line I know we go through a lot of stuff Billy prayed for it this morning we go through a lot of different things but keep in mind this one thing the race hasn't stopped and we don't either, no matter what. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are and God reminding us today that we are on a race and we are called. And at the end of that race, every person, every single Christ follower will come and stand before you. So just pray, Father, today for determination for us to look at those models and not the masses for us to understand hey what's the course the course is multiplying investing and 
using our lives in such a way that is according to your call, the assignment that you've given to us. We know, you know it gets tough, God. We know it gets tough. And we pop hamstrings on this course. But you said, Lo, I am with you to the end. Our determination, God, is an act of worship to you. So I pray for people here today, Christ followers first, who are tired and have all the reason to quit running. And I pray, God, today that your word has challenged them not to give up. Put those running shoes back on. And know that the Father's arm is right around us to the finish line. Quite honestly, God, I pray for those who have become apathetic, who have become trotters instead of runners or walkers. And I pray, God, today you will help us like this runner here, this Olympic runner, to kind of wake up and like realize, hey, this is this race matters. So we just entrust our family together, this church family to you, God, for you to do the work right now that you've been doing in the last 30 minutes, the spirit of God moving and needling and charging and challenging and whatever you do, God, thank you for that. Father, we pray for those today who are exploring you. And the sober reality is, God, that heaven or hell is not, it is not your choices, it's the choice you've given to us to make to an eternity with God or with you or, or, or without. And the, and the reality is that there is one Savior. There are many religions, but there's one Savior who pierces through all of our religiosity and spirituality. And there's one because there could only be one. There's one because only one walked this earth, fully man, fully God. There's one because there was only one perfect Lamb of God who did not sin. There's one because only one Messiah bypassed Adam's nature. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. Let's say as we're praying here right now, that deeply resonates with you more than it ever has in your life. And what, what really sinks in deep today is that you need a savior. Trust me, you don't need religion. You don't need a church building, a church. You need Jesus Christ. You don't need better behavior. You don't need behavior modification or self-help. You need Jesus Christ, the only Savior who can save your soul, who died on a cross to mysteriously absorb all your sins, past, present, future. Wouldn't you want peace with God today, knowing that all is right? Then trust in him right now. Say to him from your heart, I am broken. I am imperfect. I am a sinner. If you can't start there, you can't go to the next step. God, I am a sinner. He already knows it. Why not acknowledge it? God, I am a sinner in need of a savior.
Begin with your need. Speak to him right now. I am a sinner, God, in need of a Savior. Secondly, God, I transfer any trust I'm having, any dependence on me being good enough, on being even sitting in a church or listening to a church service, of being obeying the golden rule and trying to be a better person. I set that aside and I trust in Christ alone today to be right with you. I trust in Christ alone. Is that your prayer? I trust in Christ alone. And finally, God, I'm asking you to birth new life in me. Here I am. I'm exchanging my old life, God, for your new one. Would you birth new life in me? Father, thank you so much for Jesus Christ today. Thank you for the determination sitting on that that donkey, riding not into Jerusalem, but riding in to accomplish the assignment to seek and to save those who were lost. Thanks for saving us, God. And thanks for your determination. We praise you for all. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.